Hey, and welcome to another episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast. Your host, Jay Wilmington here, and somebody I've been very much looking forward to joining me here along with me is Andre Carlisle. Andre, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, I'm doing good. Thank you for uh, asking to have me on. Yeah, absolutely. Andre, and you can find Andre a lot of different places, and I do. I follow him uh, through Fan Kirby Fight Club, which is an excellent podcast, um, as well as Diaspora United, uh, Diaspora United, and, and also Black and Red United, um, which you write for about Was- the Washington uh, spirit, and uh, as we as we noted, may come into particularly into interest in, in, as a relation to American owner Todd Bowley now, and and, um, yeah, I've, I've just greatly appreciated getting to work a little alongside of you, but mostly getting to listen to you talk about a number of things uh, about the sport. But I think you're one of the most uh, uh, knowledgeable Chelsea women voices here. And I don't know who else would be better to have on at this time um, as we kind of come in. So, again, just uh, appreciate you joining us. And, and, you know, I wanted to start here today just kind of talking a little bit about just the general perception of where we are right now from a competition standpoint. So, you know, we come off this last season and win a double, um, kind of that weird deal where we won two FA Cups in one year and kind of finished off last year's <laughs> treble. Um but, but, you know, it's hard to look at the last two years, particularly when you look at double treble and not see, and see anything other than just incredible, incredible success. Um, and, and yet I think particularly if, if you kind of look at that alongside of, of sort of the Champions League right at the minute, um, how, how, how do you sort of, where do you feel Chelsea is sort of stands right now in relation to the competition around them, both in the WSL uh, and in European competition, you know, before, before anything really major shakeups happened this summer? Yeah, I was going to say that's kind of the thing about Chelsea and where they are right now. Um, You do have to break it down into two kind of uh, different looks. So you have to look at it domestically and you also have to look at it through the Champions League in Europe. So domestically, things have been pretty good, quite good, in fact. And I think that it's been also it's it's been quite important to to watch the squad respond. I mean, this season domestically, we had a lot to deal with. You know, a new formation, and I'll talk a little bit about reasons why we needed a new formation. Uh, but we had a new formation. We had a couple new players to put in. Um, and, you know, we also had the points that were dropped in the, fir- the ver- very first game of the season versus Arsenal, even though, and I've said this on all the podcasts, their winning goal was offside. It just was. Go back and look at it. All right. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, so, so you look at recovering from that. The team, you know, does what they need to do to c- be able to get in position to get back to the top of the table. And they run off a streak at the end of the league season of nine straight wins, scoring 32 goals, conceding only five. It's incredible. And I don't know if like, if you paid it, if you follow the team, then you definitely watch the last day, you know, the final match day of the league season. And it's incredible. You know, they were down 2-1 at halftime. They ended up winning the game 4-2 versus Manchester United with Sam Kerr scoring two of the most ridiculous goals you'll probably ever see, particularly on the last day. And that is including the men and the whole Aguero moment that people remember from Manchester City's first win uh, on the men's side. But, you know, this was outrageous, you know, twice as outrageous because Sam Kerr did two outrageous things. But then, of course, you look at it in terms of European competition, not as good. You know, out of the Champions League before the turn of the calendar, which was unfortunate. You know, went to went away to Wolfsburg, lost, um, I believe it was 4-0. And you basically you needed to avoid a 4-0 loss in order to continue and weren't able to do that. Um, and then, you know, before that, I believe the week before that, there was also a meeting with Juventus, who was in our group. It was a tough group, but we had them at home. Match ended nil-nil. We couldn't get had a lot of shots, but couldn't get one on, and that would have given us a secured you know, a movement on in the in the competition with this being the first season of group stage play in the Champions League for the women. It was just difficult. The, the team was very stretched. Fixtures were very tight. There was a lot going on and the team just didn't have it in them to continue. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, which we'll probably get into. Yeah. And, and again, it's something that it's so amazing the way they finished the season in particular with um, it, it's interesting for those of you that watch the WSL with the three teams at the top, Man City really struggled enough early to kind of be a little out of the equation, although they were a big factor late on, at least as they reached their best form. But, you know, you just don't have any room to 
breathe. And so while you're favored in a lot of these matches, sometimes heavily so, uh, you, there's just zero room for slip-up. And I think, you know, it's it's a strange feeling to have the confidence, or at least for me personally, when I watch this Chelsea team, I feel so confident even knowing there's no room for slip-up, at least in the domestic competitions, because they just time and time and time again come back, you know, cold-blooded killers. And also, I think, you know, like you said, Sam Kerr's still just a cheat code, and she is, uh, she, she, you know she's going to come through, even if she's played a match and is semi-silent for parts of it or large stretches of it, she's just going to have a few chances and uh, you know she's going to come through. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I, I don't want to, you know, focus on, I want to focus on the team and the players that were there and all that too. But but just for a minute, you know, one of the big changes that was required this year and I think what for fans that are kind of, you know, uh, familiar with the Chelsea women at large and some of the bigger characters around, I think obviously Kerr and, and Emma Hayes, the manager, um, but Fran Kirby is obviously one that's really, really well known. And she really, as she did a couple years ago with, with illness, um, you know, returned to this incredible form and this partnership with Fran Kirby and this incredible attack, but really was, you know, not able to contribute a whole lot this year. Um, So, you know, how did, how did that impact Chelsea? And then how were they able to, to kind of work around that? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, I think that, so if you look at the Chelsea team, the one thing that the Chelsea team has is a ridiculous amount of outstanding attacking talent. So it's a lot. Uh, Last season, we saw that, you know, Sam Kerr and Fran Kirby developed this partnership that was just outrageous. I, I believe they broke shattered the WSL record for assist to one another. I mean, they were always, you know, whenever there was a break, a turnover, a high turnover, anything, those two were combining to score a goal. So, I mean, they they completely terrorized defenses and it was great to watch, but you're right, this season that didn't quite happen. And there are some reasons. We still don't know particularly why or what what what, what went on with Fran Kirby. Seems to be healthier now. It does appear that she's going to at least at the moment, try to play in the Euros. Um, She has been called up. She is heading to training. So that's excellent to see. Hopefully she can get back to her best and and then remain in that form for Chelsea. But, you know, we think we talk about last year when Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr went, went crazy. Pernilla Harder had a hard time kind of figuring out how does she fit in. Guru Wrighton, who is an incredible attacking player, was kind of resigned to the bench. She was on kind of spot duty. So, what happened with Fran Kirby being out was Guru and Pernilla had to step up, and they did uh, in incredible ways. And of course, Sam Kerr as well. But you always kind of you're, you're going to get Sam, you're going to get 20 goals from Sam Kerr because that's just what she does. Uh, but you but you still need other players around her to be able to feed her or to be able to score goals and create goals on their own. And both Guru Wrighton and Pernilla Harder did the same. Did that so. It still remains to be seen what this attack can actually really look like when if all of those players can be out there. It's actually still a big question mark of whether can they all be out there? Can you have an attack that has Guru, Sam Kerr, Fran Kirby, and Pernilla Harder out there at the same time? I don't know. Um, I tend to believe so, but Pernilla is kind of the question mark there. She likes a lot of space and you can play her kind of as a as a nine and a half or a ten. But it's also maybe a lot of defensive work in Emma Hayes' system uh, that it may not be the best use of her. So it, it remains to be seen. But yeah, when it, going back to Fran Kirby, it really is the fact that, you know, when she went out, it was frustrating because that was, you know, her combination was responsible with Sam Kerr was responsible for a lot of our goals. And without that, we had to figure it out. And luckily, we have the glut of Italic attacking talent that could do that. One of the things that you and I have talked about and was a little interesting, I you know, going into last season was, um, you know, that maybe Chelsea didn't really round out their roster in some of the ways we thought they might, I, particularly, again, just in, in not even like in talent, but in, in balance, because again, it was almost not not a positive, but you know, if, for example, if Fran had been around and been expecting to play the kind of minutes she had, you would have had huge number of, those minutes would have been gone elsewhere. And as it worked, it kind of worked out because you did have all these players that needed these minutes. Um, But yet it still was kind of, we're still in this kind of spot where it seems like we have, uh, and now we have a couple of our other defensive players that are kind of moving on from the club. It just seems to kind of have this roster and balance between all this attacking talent. And then we have 
good players behind them. Um, but, I, you know, particularly whether in the wingback spots, if we're going to keep playing that system, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I'm very interested. Take aside the sale of the club and how that might impact business as usual um you know were you are you surprised do you continue to be surprised that the that the imbalance of talent isn't addressed a little bit and do you expect that it will be yeah so I was gonna say like before the team you know was sanctioned or well not the team I guess it was Abramovich who was sanctioned but the team of course was a byproduct of that but um before that Prior to the season, we saw in the Champions League final against Barcelona, there's no getting around it. We got destroyed. Um, We got destroyed early. We got destroyed often. And that game was scary and terrifying and bad and really exposed what we did not have. And what we did not have was yet a world-class type of midfield what we did not have were world-class fullbacks and even though Jess Carter has grown a lot from that game she is probably the number one defensive fullback in England right now she is impressive she can get forward but her job mainly is to shut down um, any any wide attacker Uh, and she's very good at that she did that to Lauren Hemp Uh, against Manchester City, which Chelsea really needed a couple of times, actually. And so she was very, very good at stepping up against Lauren Hemp, who's been one of uh, England's very best wingers, young wingers. So um, you look at Jess Carr, and she did that to a lot of players, so it wasn't just Lauren Hemp. But, you know, you you kind of... Uh, this is kind of the thing, you know, domestically, there's one thing and Chelsea look good domestically. But then, of course, in the Champions League, not. So we, we talked about like after Barcelona, we were exposed and there was a whole lot that we needed to we needed to do to get better. And we didn't quite do that. And I still have a lot of questions about why. I know Emma Hayes has loosely said something like she they did target fullbacks, but they weren't able to, to secure any. We don't know anything beyond that. I don't know why. I don't know who they targeted or anything like that. But that's a little concerning as well. Um, I know Emma Hayes likes a particular type of player. So I don't. I imagine their list isn't just like a list of the best fullbacks in the world, but the ones who she thinks will integrate with the team the best. But again, I have no idea who's, who's on those lists. And we're kind of going to have the same thing heading into this offseason, where if we are looking to... Honestly, if we're looking to continue domestic dominance, but also if we're looking to, you know, prepare for the group stages and and build a roster that can that can you don't have to play the your first 11 every single time. And when you do play your first 11, you're competitive enough to get deep into the competition. We're not quite there yet. This is oversimplifying things by a lot. But I one of the things that stand, you know, that I that I think about with. The, the way that Chelsea did business specific to their women's team during the tail, the tail end of the Abramovich era that, you know, it, it, there's there's business to be made. A lot of it has to do with do you want to invest? Do you want to go out there and do it? And you see, you know, uh, in the past five, six years that, you know, the historical club's advantage of having like just the advantage of we do invest in these guys around us don't. To me, that gap is starting to diminish a little because we're finally, thankfully, having more investment, you know, kind of, kind of even in the WSL, for instance, that, you know, while I don't think we have to worry about Spurs maybe for, you know, or Everton or, or maybe Man U quite like passing us in the league, the, the, the competition there is growing um, and yet... Yeah, so I just, it's like these, like you said, it's like these sliding doors, two different experiences, because when I watch the league and I have any complaints, anything domestic, I feel spoiled to to do, or just like a complainer to talk about anything negative, because it's just incredible what they've accomplished. Um, And yet, yeah, when you you think back to that Barcelona-Chelsea match, um, certainly I think if we played that match 10 times, maybe, you know, we don't get beat like that every time but it, it was it was eye-opening it was not a it was not a small gap there that day and then you know to, to go and watch Barcelona win what 50 straight after that and then go and watch them play Lyon in this year's final and Lyon was not overwhelmed the way we were and they were ready for it so again just to say that it, yes Barcelona was was maybe we can close the gap or that was an off day but they've only rocketed up since that day we played them and they're not 
infinitely better than their competition. In fact, they're not, they didn't win it. So, you know, again, it's, it's so hard for me because we don't see those teams, you know, other than occasionally in a group match here and there to, to, to sort of still put these teams um, in the Champions League kind of apples to apples because they're so dominant each in their domestic leagues. And I just don't have a good feel for watching them beat up on the rest of their domestic leagues until these couple matches a year against one another. But uh, I, I don't know. It's just hard to it's hard to see that we didn't make it out of our group stage as tough a group as it was and feel wildly optimistic that we're going to come back into the competition this year um, with, you know, as one of the favorites. I don't I don't I don't see who would anybody that would see us that way. Yeah, no, we definitely won't be one of the favorites in Champions League. I mean, Lyon, to be completely honest, I thought Lyon was a, was at least a season away, a year away from being able to compete with Barcelona. They showed that that is not the case. They are ready now. And the, and the scary thing about Lyon was they were actually missing some pretty important players like Daniel Vandedonk, uh, a terrific midfielder, Amel Majri, who was absolutely dominant uh, and when she was with the team. You know, they... Both of those players were injured and out. You know, they signed Lindsey Horan and bring her over from the U.S. Um, and pair her with Amandine Henri, and it was perfect. I mean, they shut down what Barcelona normally does in midfield. And you think about it, that's, I won't say it's like they're, you know, it, it's it's not necessarily a patchwork midfield, especially because Horan and Henri played together pretty well in the States. But it was also like, if they had their full complement of players, would they have chosen that midfield? Probably not. You know, and so that's the other scary thing. Like Lyon is actually back to being Lyon as we've known them, dominant Lyon in women's football. And of course, you know, you have Barcelona who are still terrifying. That was a very bad day that they had. They had chances to score and didn't. There were a number of reasons why they were put off. I think they were arrogant to a degree um, and figured like we're and and honestly, I don't say that as a pejorative. I think that they should have been arrogant because of what the run that they've been on has been unreal. I mean, they're hundred plus goal differential in their league is, a, is a, and and I think people look at that and they think that the Spanish league is not good, and that is not true. There's about five teams at the top of there that are that are very good teams. We saw Real Madrid take out Manchester City in the Champions League, so. Like, yeah, they have talent in that league, and it's only going to get better. I think Real Madrid is really retooling and going after Barcelona. So you look at Real Madrid coming up eventually, you know, maybe they're going to be quite strong. You look at PSG, who challenged Lyon. PSG beat Lyon for the league title last season. Uh, PSG is always kind of a chaotic front office situation. Their coach recently got suspended, probably going to get fired. They're going to have a lot of players they're going to need to replace but you kind of look around and you say like the top team, Wolfsburg, who took us out. I mean, you're looking at a lot of clubs that we are well behind right now in in Europe. And it's just a weird thing. Domestically, we're fine. <laughs> we're fine for now. For now. We'll see what happens. Well, and I find that so interesting because I still think that from a fan perspective that from a, and a league's perspective that the WSL is one of the more fun leagues to watch. But I don't know that we're from a team perspective you know, but from a team to team standpoint, they don't have any of the most fun teams to watch. And, you know, at least in my, my opinion, but, um, you know, so, so that kind of brings us to a point here where we're, we're, you know, we've kind of identified where the club's at and kind of what, you know, all things considered, we might, you know, think we need to do to kind of focus on at least staying where we're at, if not building back to be closer to some of these champions league favorites. But, you know, the, I, I won't put you on the spot and, and ask you, you know, what you think we'll do. Cause it's just how, how, how could anybody say right now, but what, what do you, I'm really interested here for both men's and women's team. Um, I was going to talk to David here later in the week on the men's side, but how do, what should we be looking for as fans? I mean, I just keep thinking about from a PR perspective. I mean, I guess you could be the rickets and pretty much fail instantly, but other than that, it's just <laughs> today's world is, um, you know, it's all going to be the right PR things to say about the women's team, the youth, the stadiums, the facilities, the club, the the respect to the the pitch owners. You know, because why wouldn't you? And and yet, what I can't really tell from afar, um, and and just layers of of real information down, 
what should we as fans and sort of people on the side be looking at to see that, yeah, this is kind of what we see, what, what we feel positive, that there is a pretty big serious investment here into this club and the future of the women's team and not just sort of say a token, uh, you know, certainly token comments, but even maybe a, a singular signing or, or something that you say, you know, that's, that seems more of a headline attention grabbing move than something that's like somebody that's really has the right people around to, to deeply invest. I mean, do you know, does anything stand out to you in that regard? Yeah. So this is, it's the tough question to answer only because we just straight up don't know, right? Like, you know, uh, it seemed like Abramovich and the people that were in charge of the women's team did very well. I mean, they got Sam Kerr, recruited Sam Kerr. Of course, Emma Hayes is a big reason, part of that. Um, got Pernilla Harder, you know, of course, the relationship she has with Magdalena Erickson, you know, a longtime Chelsea player was very, very important in, in that as well. But at the time, she was the highest, you know, transfer fee paid uh, in women's football. So we have no problem doing that, doing that kind of stuff in the past. But then again, you kind of look at, like we mentioned, you know, after the Barcelona loss, what did we do to respond? We weren't able to secure what we really needed, which was fullbacks and maybe even strengthening you know, uh, midfield a little bit. Um, so it really depends. It's hard to tell. The one thing I can say is that Todd Bowley, his name is not unfamiliar to me here in the States in the realm of women's soccer. Um, I say soccer when I talk about U.S. football and I talk about Europe. <laughs> That's a good um, American. That's a, the, we're proud of you. Yeah, exactly. So, so like um, he, he did – he was into exclusive negotiating, uh, granted exclusive negotiation rights for the Washington Spirit um, and the NWSL club here, which is the one that I cover for Black and Red United. Um, they have uh, had a really terrible, unfortunate ownership situation. There's a lot written about it, but basically their owner, the ownership was just not good to the players, hired people that were incompetent and then also verbally and uh, abusive. There was sexual harassment in there too. And so they had to get rid of a lot of people, but try to like not particularly say why and allow them to continue to, you know, their careers in women's football. And it was not good. And of course, then there was the argument with the owners, with the minority owner, who was a woman named uh, Michelle Kang. And that is the owner who kind of came in as a minority owner, looked around and was like, what the hell are y'all doing here? And then that whole like tension started and there was a whole ownership beef. So Bowley was kind of came came into that, not really aware, but he was also kind of being used as a pawn because they didn't want to, ex, you know, hand over power to Kang. They wanted to hand over power to somebody else. So whether he was protecting his reputation, whether he was looking at it and saying this isn't morally right, I don't know. <laughs> I could probably guess which one it is, um, but um he backed out of the negotiations and Michelle Kang became the, the owner of the Washington spirit. The good news is he was interested, right? He, he, he wanted to, uh, to get into women's soccer. He wanted to get into the team. What, what he would have done. I have no idea. We never saw proposals. We never saw anything or heard anything like that. We didn't get too far into what he wanted to do. We know that, I you know they have this, I guess, verbal, slightly con contractual agreement, which I don't know how you can enforce it, that the Academy and the women's team need to be prioritized as well. I don't know what that means operationally. So like, we will see. It's kind of one of those things where I, I think that he is aware of the landscape of women's football and he is aware that the, that it is like an up and coming sport that you can invest in and reap rewards almost not maybe if not instantaneous, they can be a lot quicker than, and you can, and you don't have to spend as much as in men's football. Like if you want to make a, a splash right now in the European football market for men, you have to spend a ton of money. Um, you don't necessarily, like I mentioned, you know, Pernilla Harder was, I, I believe it was 330,000 euro. Um, and so that's, those prices are going up, but they're nowhere near. So you can make a big splash with, you know, give the team 10 million pounds, see what happens. Right. So uh, I, it's kind of still like that, but it also depends on what they see, what other kind of like prize money, how big those pots grow from like Champions League and also the WSL. How much does the FA Cup and the League Cup, how much do those winnings, those earnings go up? Um, I know the FA Cup is going up as well. So, like, you do have opportunities, but we're just going to have to wait and see. I would love to see needs addressed. This is kind of the unfortunate thing is he can't come in and do, like, 
we're going to get a big name, you know, player that everybody's going to like a big, you want to bring in like a big name attacker and say, I'm the new owner here. I got, look what I got you. This is great. But he's not going to be able to do that or he shouldn't do that because we already have big name attackers. So he's going to have to get like a, a bit into the weeds and say, okay, you, you need my marquee and like first signing to be a fullback. Yes, absolutely. We do. <laughs> so Amen. we'll see if he, if he knows that. Yeah, that's a really that's a really interesting point. And one of the things I find in general so fascinating about the the transfer business or the or the offseason of the women's game is, you know, here we are talking about Real Madrid who is making this serious push to try to compete with Barcelona and it's like, you know, they had to be woken up about 5 years ago and be like, "Hey, you guys know you don't have a women's team, right?" I mean, it is like 2016. It's probably time to like it looks pretty bad. It looks pretty bad. And here they are now like, "Oh yeah, we're super and and it just does. Like you said it goes to show that in this in the men's game which is is so saturated with everything and the tra- you know, yeah, there's there's no possible player in you know, 10th tier uh, anywhere in the world that people don't know everything about. And yet in the women's game, it's just a matter of, do you want to invest? And if you do, then you can go and you can get players and you can get quality players and you don't have to break the bank in, at least in comparison to what, you know, transfer signings in in the men's game are. And yet, you know, um, that's really fascinating to me because I think you make a great point. It's not just about going and, you know, if if you go, he he could go out and splash some money and, and actually kind of indicate something that's concerning by not understanding where we need that to be from a squad building perspective and what we have, you know, the other thing that, that comes to mind as you're talking, I was listening recently, I think it was your, your most recent Fran Kirby flight club episode um, with, and you and Miriam were talking about, you know, kind of the second FA cup win and this team, I, I appreciate you because I, I like how you, you were, you know, in general, talking about intangibles and kind of saying, I, I just about like to just cross that stuff out because it's just overblown. and over, But but yet, this team and Emma Hayes and this whatever magic mojo they have, it really genuinely, in this case, is this, the sum is greater than the parts. Um, and, I, you know, I, I certainly see Emma Hayes really... Um, uh, you know, she's she's all in on Chelsea, but I also just don't, you know, again, it's an unknown of what is the relationship with her and the club going forward, um, because I do think that, oh man, you could have Sam Kerr, you could have a lot of the roster, and if suddenly you hear rumblings that Emma Hayes might not stay around, that that would also be incredibly concerning to me. Um, you know, she's had, she, I would imagine she would have about any opportunity she'd want to have in the women's game. I don't, I don't know. Cause I think she's been loyal to Chelsea. I haven't heard rumors of people other than what was the, what was the third, third division men's club or whatever that was supposed to, you know, supposed to be <laughs> an honor to, you know, so anyway, I'll stay, I'll stay away from that. But I, she doesn't have to stay at Chelsea because this is, you know, just because of has, she, she could go and find another challenge and she certainly accomplished so much here. I don't get that's her sense, and so it would be concerning to me if we started to hear a change in that tone. Because I, I think if if I think you know that would be a high priority to me is to come in and make sure she was very settled and comfortable, um, and find out which where you know what she which, where she is and what she wants to go to go moving forward. I think that'd be a good place to start. Yeah, you know, with Emma Hayes, it's it's an interesting one because you're right. She, she's Chelsea blue. She's diehard. She has imprinted the team with, you know, the, the mentality and characteristics that she wants. So like you, she has full control as well, or had, we'll see what happens in the new ownership, but she, she had full, I don't necessarily, that would be a a really unfortunate way to make waves internally uh, by trying to limit Emma Hayes's scope and (laughs) and responsibility and power in the team. Uh, in the women's team. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I don't anticipate anything there, but from Emma Hayes on a personal standpoint, she's been at Chelsea for a very long time. I mean, I believe it's uh, over 10 years. So it's a long time to be doing something and to be doing one thing. She loves it. She loves the club. She'll always say that, you know, you see when she wins, she always passed the badge as much as players when they score. It's amazing to see. Um, she loves so many of the players. You know, we talked about Fran Kirby earlier, I think the relationship she has with Fran Kirby is so unique. You don't see these things in sports very often. You know, Fran Kirby has had a lot of troubles in her life, and Emma Hayes has kind of been there for her as a friend, somebody to, to, to help her and to also say, like, hey, we don't need you on the pitch right now. What's most important is for you to take this time and figure out your own health. Like, that's what's most important. We'll always be here and we'll always welcome you back. So Fran Kirby having that and Emma Hayes providing that is very, very important. It's a very unique relationship. 
Um, you know, in this during the season, this season, when Fran Kirby didn't seem like she had the type of, um, you know, she she wasn't having the type of performances we were used to, and we found out there was a reason for that, but we didn't necessarily know. And honestly, neither the day. You know, it was a matter of her resting, spending time, you know, with the with the doctors to try to figure out what was going on and try to solve this like extreme fatigue she was having probably leftover effects uh, from, you know, the pericarditis that she suffered through a season or so ago. Um, but yeah, just being able to do that. So when you look at Emma Hayes, you are also kind of wondering, she once, she has said openly in many interviews that her ambition with Chelsea is to win the Champions League. The way that the team responded after the Barcelona thing did not seem like a team that wanted to then go on and win the Champions League. I don't really know how to explain that. Is that something that they're going to try and get back to? This summer will be very telling. But also for Emma Hayes, if she ends up finding something else that she wants to focus on, she's done pundit work. You know, she's going to be doing work throughout the, the Women's Euro. She's going to be, you know, commentating on games and whatnot. So she's also very good at that. I believe she already won an award for like a pundit award. Yeah, like commentator well for of that. the year, uh, for the year, whole Euro competition Yeah, and she, she thought yeah. it was funny because she, she'd only done a couple games, but like she's very good at it. Um, will she go and try to and try to manage another woman's team or maybe even a men's team? Who knows? So like I... I have I'm I I feel two ways when it comes to Emma Hayes. I never want her to leave, but also everything that she's done. I'm like you also have the freedom, and I shouldn't stand in your way to do whatever the hell else you want to do. So it's it sounds I, I it really sounds like know. a family member that you actually do really care about. Like life wouldn't be the same without you. <laughs> I, I know, can't right? lose you, but I also can't be selfish. I want you to live your dreams and be all that you can be. So hopefully we're you know we can all make that come together under one big blue roof. But I. You know, I, I'm with you. I, I, she, I she feels, you know, I I think I have an affinity for her on a personal level that I, I just can't imagine ever holding for a, a manager of the men's team. I say that, but but I partly because of longevity. I just you know that she's been like you said. There's she's been around for more than a decade, yeah. and then I don't know. There's just this, in some ways, that the way that I think you know reviewing Roman Abramovich's ownership and his legacy as an owner. There's so many things about Chelsea Football Club that are so deeply stamped with his DNA that are only there because of him. And 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 I feel that way about on the women's team level about Emma because I think that there are so many things that are unique to us and unique about the relationships there because of her and because of what she's developed there over time and those player relationships. Um, but, you know, I at, at the same time, it's just, it, it, I just find this such an interesting crossroads because, you know, it, there's this, I, I, I couldn't really ask for anything more from a fan perspective and what the team is and, and the, and, and yet from a competition perspective, um, there's concern there because I, I do see that we're, we're getting caught up to faster than we're catching those above us. And, you know, um, it just, it just impossible to say at this point, I'm really interested to touch base, you know, maybe middle of the summer as we get closer to the season and see if there's been some movement and, and at least in what it sounds like the team's direction is trying to move. And, um, you know, hopefully that won't be something that, you know, just gets put totally by the wayside. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think so. I think there's way too much. I think there's a pretty big lens on it, even though, um, you know, maybe only marginal in comparison to, to the club at large, but I think there's still a, I think there's going to be a lot of voices looking in that direction. Um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see. What, do you think there's anything else from besides, you know, besides player rosters, what would, is there anywhere that you'd really like to see them put, you know, put, uh, support economically or even just, uh, you know, you know, for example, I see that, you know, Arsenal continues to try to throw all these games into the Emirates. I, I, I personally would be fine with all the matches being played at Kings Meadow and not at Stamford Bridge. I don't know that that's something that I is we need to do. But, you know, we, Kings Meadow is something that generally people are excited about. Anything else? I mean, as far as, you know, facilities, training, um, they seem to be pretty strong. Anywhere you'd like to see them invest beyond just squad reinvestment? Yeah, Um you know, in my in my perfect world, um, I don't believe that. And I think this is so to give people context and history of, about it. Just real quick, um, women's football was banned for fifty years in England. 
Um, and that is why you see so many teams that are just starting out like Manchester United didn't have a women's team until 2018. So like you're starting to see the, a professional women's team, let's put it that way. Um, so you're starting to see this build, you're starting to see the WSL get more and more popular, but it's starting from significantly from way behind. And so that is the reason why like the Chelsea women's supporters group will say like, we don't want to have games at Stanford bridge. We can't create the same kind of atmosphere there that we can create in Kings Meadow. I think it's very important to listen to fans on that. But at the same time, I also think that you have to continue to improve the standard of the women's game. And I don't know if Kings Meadow is the should be the permanent home. I think it is a decent ground, but I think it could be better. Um, I think there maybe there's something a little closer to London. I hear that Kings Meadow is kind of far away um, from, you know, to, to get out there too. So maybe there's something there that you can look at. Maybe there's just more marketing in order to be able to eventually pack something like Stanford Bridge, but it's going to require a lot of marketing work, a lot of, you know, promotion work, a lot of, you know, work to, I'll bring in endorsements and elevate the club and the women's game and going to watch the women's games uh, wherever they happen to be played. So I think there are some things the club can do, and I'll be looking forward to seeing. Um, we don't see a lot of that stuff unless you're kind of on the ground, so I don't know how much of it I'll see from here. But I, I do think it's quite important to continue to push and invest in a lot of ways because women's football is, you know, it's – it's doing one of those things where every tweet, everything that you see is like, you know, 200% increase in viewership, you know, 500% increase in like online engagement, yada, yada. The fan bases are there and they're trying to figure out exactly what that means. But just like in men's sports, you have to invest in order to build it to, to where you want it to be. And so you continue to do that in the same way that you would invest in and build on the men's game. And part of that's the team, but a part of that is the whole packaging around the fan experience and, you know, integrating the fan and the, the team into the community, making those connections. I believe they're going on a, on a, um, I, I don't believe, I don't know if they're coming to America or not. I believe they might be um, for a, for a preseason tour doing stuff like that. Like it's really, really important to do a lot of the same things in order to build the game. Um, so yeah, I will be looking to see a lot of those things. Um, outside around the team but you know more significantly for me of course i want to see it in the squad yeah you would yes yeah, <laughs> if i'm just if i'm being my most honest self see like it I, those, see it in those wingbacks right i would like honestly i would love to get to a point where we don't even need to run a three back anymore i don't necessarily believe it's needed in women's football right now um in the european game i see why tugel does it on the men's side but I think there are so many quality fullbacks that can play and are capable of defending and attacking from a fullback position that if we got one, one or two of those, it would open up a lot. And, uh, and we'd need midfielders as well. Uh, yeah. So like, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at a lot of things like on the pitch, but yeah, I, to, to get back to your original question, I mean, I, I really do think that like, I would still like to see a lot around the club improved and whether that's making improvements to Kings Meadow. I mean, we don't own it, so I don't know if we can actually do that, but just improving it, making it a better um, place, a better stadium. I hear press there doesn't have bathrooms. You know, there's some stuff like that that I think needs to be addressed by, by the new ownership and by continuing to invest in making the women's team and the women's game experience a more professional one. Well, you talked about it, the impact of that, 50-year ban in England and how there's just this incredible discrepancy, uh, you know, between teams in, and, you know, Chelsea, we talked about, like, that's pretty incredible to say that for press, there's really not even bathrooms or something. And then it's like, yeah, well, you should go look at some of the teams in the championship and their players can't go to, can't find bathrooms or they don't have keys to bathrooms. Yeah. And they have, you know, it's, a, it's, from, it, it, it literally is, you know, when you think about here in America and a lot of youth level sports, you'd think they wouldn't do that for a AAU team or a, you know, and, and so mm -hmm. simultaneously we're talking we're having these conversations where on one hand, we're talking about some of the most incredible athletes in the world. And then we're talking about like you, like, elementary school kid level sports conditions and and right across yeah. this park you might have a team that's going on to play in the champions league so it, it just um i find that fascinating um so in some cases downright sad um but it, for the most part i find it 
it it really interesting because it isn't as I won't say sanitized, but the men's game it's just so it's this one giant machine that's everything's kind of trying to be the same or one way or another. And the women's game is kind of the wild west yet. And one of the things that I wanted before I let you go to ask you a couple questions about I'm I'm really intrigued, particularly I you know. I watch, like you, Chelsea women, and I watch a lot of WSL, and I know you watch more than I do, but I've started to watch a lot of NWSL, and unlike, you know, obviously in the men's game, for us here in America, there's not a real, there's not, they're not a comparable at all, um, you know, to the league we have here, to the league in, in England, but obviously the NWSL is an incredibly high quality league, um, and uh, you know, one of the things I just saw today was, you know, Kim Little, I think, is going to go to OL Reign for a, to loan yeah. until the season starts. And, you know, I, it's been a, it's been an interesting time, I think, particularly heightened during the COVID time where we saw a lot of the, you know, there was all some American players um, like Sam Mewis and Rose Lavelle that went over uh, Chris and Press to the to the WSL. And I thought maybe we'd finally get this consolidation of talent and kind of get to see more of the, the two continents battling. But it seems like it's not quite headed that direction despite maybe some of these loans I know you know Ola Rain seems to be the one that's you know as really makes use of bringing in several loanies throughout the year um but what you know are these are these leagues from a talent perspective comparable and is it is is the is a team is, is there more quality spread out within the NWSL are the top end teams in the WSL NWSL comparable to a Chelsea to a to an Arsenal um you know I realize that's kind of a broad scattershot but you know Grab what you what, what you see there. It's a great question, and this is why I will forever and ever and never shut up about this until it happens. We need a club World Cup in the women's game. Amen. You know, I mentioned the WSL and how it's been held back. I mean, the U.S. Le- women's league is probably on its third or fourth iteration of trying to get a women's league to stick. The NWSL has been around. This is technically their, I believe, ninth season, maybe eighth full season, but they got it's kind of their 10-year anniversary. So they've existed as a as a league for 10 years. Um, and so like we're finally starting to see something of some sort of like stability in the women's game domestically. What we need in order to really do it, because it was really just the inter- international stage, it was the women's world cup that was kind of the thing that showed people like, hey, women can actually ball out as well so we really need to to do something about that and as and far as elevating and they've done a good job with the women's world cup but domestic football is really where it's at getting people connected to the players following the players game after game during a league season is the most like that is what grows a game um and so we really need focus on domestic leagues and i think a club world cup way more would be i I know we have one in the men's and it's kind of one of those things because we won it I'll, you know, on the men's side, I'll kind of be like, yeah, like yeah, that was suddenly cool it's to legitimate do. now. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. But but also but also it doesn't have like a, as much prestige to it. I promise if we did it on the women's game and did it correctly, it would be just as big, if not bigger. I, I and I truly believe this than the Champions League on the men's side because of that very fact. Like you mentioned, the NWSL is not is not what the MLS is to the like the English Premier League. The NWSL is a legit, serious league that has it's one of the deepest leagues in the world, I I believe. Like there's 10 teams and they can all knock the hell out of each other any given week. I mean, it is very, very difficult to sustain dominance there. It is very, very difficult to play in that league week in, week out. You don't really have like a Birmingham City or, you know, uh, um, not not to disrespect to any other clubs or whatever, but, you know, and, and I know that Chelsea can trip up against Reading and Brighton from time to time. But, you know, you don't really have these games that you look at and you see there's a massive discrepancy in investment and talent. And if the team goes out there and plays as you know they can play and there's not some freakish like force field around the goal, you know what you're going to get. I mean, Chelsea beat Leicester City 9-0 this past. You know, that does not happen in the NWSL. Like games are very, very tight top to bottom. So could the best NWSL teams take on the best WSL teams? Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think that if you look at Lyon and what they did to Barcelona in the Champions League, one thing that made us laugh, people here that, that are paying attention to the NWSL, is that a lot of the tactics were very much NWSL type tactics. 
They were, we are going to run at you and press you and never stop. We're not going to give you a second on the ball in midfield. You're not going to be able to build up play. Once you put the ball in there, we are going to surround you and harass you. And then we're going to go on a counter. That's how a lot of NWSL teams play. So, of course, it wasn't that straightforward. Leon did a couple other things and had some brilliant players like Ada Hegerberg get a goal, Kat Macario, and that Amandine Henri strike was absolutely unreal. Mm. So it was a combination of things, but the way that they played was very much reminiscent of how the game is in the NWSL. And I would love to see how Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City, Lyon, PSG, Barcelona, Wolfsburg, all of those teams, I would love to see how they would be able to cope with that because it is a very, very different experience. And it would be amazing. Well, and I think some of the I'd be really fascinated to see some of those uh, Mexican women teams in there too from the uh, that league. Absolutely, there's some incredible talent coming through there um, too. So I, you know, anyway, I the, so the, I think the last thing before I get you out of here. Thanks again for joining me. Just, just along that vein, with kind of we talked about the the league done. Is there anybody that you look at on the well, two questions? I guess one is, do you see anybody in Chelsea that you think would be particularly suited for a league like the NWSL? In other words, if if you were to look at this current Chelsea setup and say somebody's going to go join, um, you know, I, that, team, that team maybe doesn't matter, a good fit somewhere at a decent team from Chelsea, and, you know, on a six-month loan. Is there anybody you could see that being a good fit not only for the player and kind of their development as they grow to Chelsea, but also, I mean, Kim Little was an interesting one just because she's so well, she's so talented and established. I think that seemed to be more of just a, I want to go play some more ball. Um you know, but is there anybody in Chelsea you think would be suited well also for the style of the NWSL? Yeah, and uh, and, and a fun fact, Kim Little is a former NWSL MVP. Uh, so she's been in the league before and, and excelled in the league before. Um, very kind of a different league that she's going into now, but still a very good player. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Sam Kerr spent time in the NWSL. And that was kind of the thing when she came over to the WSL. People were like, oh, you know, they had a poor, poor reflection of like tactics in the NWSL. So like she, she's not going to be able to do the same things that she did. And well, she's doing that and more. If you see the variety of goals that she's scoring uh, in the in the in the WSL. So Sam Crow would be amazing to see her back. But I also don't want her to ever leave Chelsea um, for any reason. Just I, like I don't want her to get like connected to anybody else. I'm very protective of Sam Kerr. She's been amazing for us. I would love to see Aaron Cuthbert uh, in the in the NWSL. I think her motor, her engine, uh, the way that how athletic she plays, her aggression would fit in. Um, I would love to see what she would be able to do. I think it would be a learning curve, but I think it would really benefit her career and give her a different style of play and kind of take her play up to a notch in intensity if she gets out there. Because I think she has a lot of like-minded players in the NWSL. And when she sees how much more effective she can be and how much more aggressive she can be, um, I, I think like the... I think it would change a lot, and I would love to have her get that experience. But you know, she's hanging out watching McLaren. <laughs> Such a good answer. Good I I love her, and I think that uh, I I think the NWSL could do with a little more Scotland in it. And I think her 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 just right. whole personality and just fireball attitude would be uh, really fascinating to watch uh, in the league. And you actually brought this full circle really well too, because you mentioned Sam Kerr and her success in the NWSL. Um, and, and and like you, I was actually going to ask you the very last thing is, you know, do you have a prediction on how long Sam Kerr is a blue? Because I think, you know, it's something that we will keep her obviously as long as we can. I think that I wouldn't have been totally shocked if she'd have made a move after this year. It doesn't sound like that'll be the case now. But I just, you know, she's got a lot going on. She's from Australia. She's played in the NWSL. She's played in the WSL. Um, she, her, She's a she's done a lot. And I just imagine there's other things she was going to try to go and accomplish before her career's done. Um, hopefully Emma Hayes is sitting with her every day, making that, uh, you know, talking her into uh, as long a stay as possible. But what do you think? What, what's, how long Sam Kerr going to be? We going to be able to watch her out there on the pitch. You know, it's a great question because I honestly, I'm be, I'm gonna be honest. I legitimately did not think she was going to sign a contract extension. I thought we were going to lose her after this season. Um, she extended her contract, I believe, until the end of 2024. So that is incredible. I love that that happened. She has said previously that you need to, she you need to belong in order to play well, and she feels like she belongs at Chelsea. And the team uh, has done a lot to that. Some of the players that she's met, but also uh, Emma Hayes. So I do hope she stays around as long as she possibly can. 
She is 28 years old, so still has plenty of prime years in her. I would absolutely love to see her retire as a blue, but knowing Sam Kerr, she does not mind. Uh, she does not mind kind of roaming the earth and scoring goals. So she has uh, she's won Golden Boots on three different continents. I could see her going back to the NWSL. She is, you know, currently in a relationship with Christy Mewis, who is a uh, place for Gotham in the NWSL. So she was at a couple games this past, uh, at, a, at at least at their last game. And I would be surprised if she wasn't at more. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't necessarily know from a from a standpoint of like what can she accomplish. I think Sam Kerr really does want to win a Champions League title. Um, I think that is something that she really wants to do. We'll see if Chelsea can get in position to do that or if she believes that there's so much competition that she misses being in the NWSL. Um, I could see her being a marquee signing if there's an expansion team or some team trying to like, make a big splash by bringing Sam Kerr back to the league. I don't know, but we have her, I believe, unless there's some, you know, conversation between us and another club where we say, all right, fine, let's discuss a transfer fee. I believe she'll be with us at least until the end of 2024. And at the moment, I'll take it. Anything more will be absolutely gravy, but at the moment, I'll take it because I thought we were going to be waving bye to her this offseason. Well, I'm with you. We'll take 2024 and the in the Chelsea lifespan, or at least in the Chelsea lifespan as a fan of the men's team, that that's a lifetime. 2024 could be six managers from now. So, you know, <laughs> right. that we won't, we may have gray hair by then, my friend. So, uh, I would, I would love to enter that stage of my life with Sam Kerr along. That would, that would, uh, help calm my nerves no matter what else we face, uh, for the club through yes. between now and then. So, well, sir, to, I sure. To, to yeah, be, no, yes. Oh, I just, just wanted to say this real quick to, to be, well, two things actually to be clear, Sam Kerr seems very comfortable at Chelsea. She's very comfortable. She has a comfortable home, comfortable life. She was struggling with like the cold <laughs> being an Aussie, yeah, Australia uh, but she seems different. to have dealt with that. Um, so she's good. And I also, I know we talked a lot about the team being down and we kind of framed it a lot in terms of the European uh, success or, or lack of lack thereof. But I think that there's also domestically, this is an incredible team to watch. So I don't want people to go and think that like this team is struggling. They need to do a lot of stuff before you pay attention to them. If you don't pay attention to them, by now, please do, because they still are an absurd team to watch. As I mentioned, 9 and o with all the pressure on you and winning games the way they had to win them. Stoppage time goals, outrageous goals, you know, 30-yard bangers. Like, it doesn't, like, the team is an incredible team to watch always. We just definitely also say that see that there is an upper echelon, like another tier to get to, and that's where we want to see them go. But they are plenty good right now. Yeah, and they're, and they're so... F- they're fun group of people to follow it too. I think that gets, again, it's yes. one of those things in sports that we can, you know, we don't know them personally. And of course, every, these are all human beings that are, you know, broken people that have problems, but it, 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 sometimes, you know, sports isn't full of people that are just really fun to follow and root for as people off of the, off of the pitch. And I think that this team is, and, you know, you see a camaraderie within the squad that, that is, that I think is pretty special and um, something that, you know, I, I hope we'll continue to get to watch you, but, but you made such a great point. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing team. And I hope that, you know, our conversation today has, you know, excited those for, you know, that, that are have gotten a little familiarity with the team, but hopefully going to, going to take a you know a closer examination and follow the team more closely going into next season but like you said don't need to wait till next season um, start start following the team now and see how the new ownership change affects the business this summer and how how we look kind of going into the into the next season and you know I couldn't for those of you out there listening um, I'm, I'm guessing you've heard Andre before but just can't emphasize enough um, please check out that Fran Kirby Fight Club podcast where you know just so many good, interesting takes about the club, um, both he and Miriam, and also, um, again, talking about the NWSL um, and, you know, Washington Spirit and uh, Black and Red United. Just check Andre out there as well. Um, and thanks, man. I, I appreciate you letting me steal you here for an hour or so. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if I can take you again, I'll, I'd be love to catch up here as we get a little closer to the season and kind of see, you know, what, what, what things have developed since we touched base here today. Absolutely, yeah. Loved having me. Uh, love. It's gonna say love having me on. Well, you gotta love, love having, having you on. on. That's a love good start. To be here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, maybe we'll we'll come back and talk. Hopefully, Chelsea makes some moves, and the women's Euros are there, so we'll be tracking some Chelsea players. So plenty to talk about. Absolutely, my friend. Well, thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care.